Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Global News reporter Brianna Carnegie at the Raptors Parade and Party in Toronto. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling on this new loneliness survey. Mark Coho from Bike Winnipeg. It's Bike Week and some bomber talk with Bob Irving. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Let's talk to her right now. Uh, she joins us live from this parade in Toronto for the Raptors. The world basketball champion, Toronto Raptors, Brianna Carnegie. Hello. Hi, Hal. Hi. Set the stage for us there. Right now, there is a viewing party that everyone is watching as the parade has passed by here. And it's there's a lot of families. There's probably about 3,000 people where I am. That's not even the busy part. The busy part is Nathan Phillips Square, and they have had to completely block it off. The city of Toronto has blocked it off because overcrowding is a huge issue. They are at capacity. So now we're seeing all the fans come over our way at Coronation Park. That's at the very beginning of the parade route. Any idea how many people have come out for this parade? Oh, man. We were estimating, MLSC told us this morning, that they thought maybe 2 million people going to the parade but judging by everything that i've seen that i'm listening to the broadcast as well on the big big screen here and they're saying it could be well more than two million people i would not doubt it has there been a highlight or two for you so far (laughs) the very first double decker bus that pulled through prince's gates here at exhibition ground it was just such an incredible sight to see you could tell something big was happening because the crowd, they were so, they were just in anticipation, waiting for something to happen. Everything was delayed a little bit. It was probably about 40 minutes by the time we saw the first bus pull through. And I, it was just such a great sight. Serge Ibaka was videotaping himself as a selfie, and all the crowd just wanted to be a part of it. Moments later, he reached down, he grabbed a champagne bottle, the very first uh, to be uh, exploded everywhere, and the crowd was just soaking it up. They loved every second of it. Very cool. You know, here in Winnipeg, we dream one day of our Jets having a parade like that. Uh, Should we keep dreaming? Has it been fun? (laughs) It has probably been. Like, as a journalist, I got to tell you, you get sent to quite a lot of things, but this is number one on my highlight reel. It has just been such an amazing day to be part of. I'm losing my voice. I've been cheering so much. Uh, my my smile, my face is actually twitching because I can't stop smiling. It has just been such a fantastic party to be a part of. Brianna, thanks a lot. Thank you. Global News reporter Brianna Carnegie in Toronto. <laughs> We're going to talk about loneliness now. Those numbers, I, I found those numbers surprising. 10% lonely, 15% isolated, 23% say both. And something like 60%, according uh, to this new polling, 60% of us want more visits, more time together with our our family and our friends. Joining us on the phone now uh, to talk about this, Carolyn Klassen. Hi, Carolyn. 
Hey, Hal, how are you? Great. Thank you for doing this on a Monday. You're, of course, here on Thursdays usually between 2.30 and 3, so a special Monday appearance by Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Let's talk about loneliness. We've been talking about that a lot today, and this is right up your alley. Yes. Um, I love to remind people about how important relationships are, how we are wired for connection, and when we struggle with not having enough of those connections, loneliness results. I think this Angus Reid survey says 10% lonely, 15% isolated, 23% both. Do those numbers surprise you? Well, I think loneliness is becoming more and more a factor. Um, and certainly when people are coming in to um, our office to talk about things, often there is a sense of loneliness. Um, we know that one of the things that that study talked about, this Angus Reid study, says that one in five Canadians rarely or never have a meaningful conversation about their life. That, and that's part of what we need to do is to talk with each other to get some perspective. And if there's no one to talk to, I'm glad they come and talk to us. But one of the things we work on is how can we create relationships in your life where you have lots of people to talk to. Do you think the Internet, Carolyn, uh, or uh, social media plays a role here? We're connected, but we're not face-to-face connected. Well, this study actually said that um, media was helpful for hmm. in order to be able to connect with people, that this study said that uh, electronics, and this is already including things even just like the phone, right. saying that this helps relationships. And so I think we have to be aware that a lot of us like to hunker down and sort of Netflix and chill, and that can increase isolation because we're not out there. Uh, but that often technology is a really good help to arrange for conversation and to allow for conversation when people can't get out of their homes. And so what do we do then? Do we reach out more to people in our life and make sure they're not lonely, not isolated? Is that the key? Yes, we need to find ways of connecting with others for sure, that we recognize that when we reach out, uh, not only do we get the benefit also, but the person that we're speaking to gets the benefit. Um, And that means connecting with people who are lonely, um, that we know, and also doing things like volunteering. We know that right now only one in five say they volunteer in their communities. Um, and only 21% say they go to live events like music or theater shows as we go out and we engage with others. Um, as we seek to help others, the life, we, the life we change just may be our own. And Carolyn, while I got you, I want to talk about this 14-year-old boy that was killed in Oak Bank yesterday. We don't know the details. We know it involved a train and he was on a dirt bike. But I just wanted to take a moment to talk about uh, the devastation caused to a family by the loss of a child. Just speak on that. We've talked about it before, and I think it's important to, the day after this tragedy to, to touch on that. Well, we know, um, as uh, speaking as a parent, I know that it's every parent's worst nightmare is to have um, our child taken by us, uh, taken from us. Uh, the loss of a child is just the worst thing that can happen to a parent. And the devastation um, isn't just for a week or a month. It goes on for years and years and years. Um, It's just so hard to lose a child. And I think we all feel our heartstrings pull when we hear that happens. And we all want to pull our children a little closer. Sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is to protect our kids and say, wear helmets, don't go on the dirt bike, don't do any of this, like stay home and, you know, Um, And I think we have to recognize that uh, that actually uh, creates another problem, even as it tries to keep our children safe, that our children need to explore and uh, find out what the world is by engaging with it. And that involves some risk and that terrifies us all. Um, We don't like to think that risk is a part of life, and yet it is. And you know, this happened on Father's Day, which uh, is even more heartbreaking. Oh, isn't that just the truth, that Father's Day for this family will be forever remembered as the day that they lost their son. 
Uh, Father's Day is hard for a lot of people, and um, it will be hard for this family in this particular way, uh, always. Carolyn, thanks for this. Take care. Carolyn Klassen, Connexus Counseling. The website is connexuscounseling.ca. We start with Bike to Work Day, and now for the next six or seven days, we have 52 different events happening all across Winnipeg for all people, from families all the way up to seniors. Um, there's all uh, a whole calendar of things to do. That is Andrea Sardison on with Kathy Kennedy earlier. Bike Week in Winnipeg, the website bikeweekwinnipeg.com. That's bikeweekwinnipeg.com. Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier, who's off for a couple of weeks. And joining us now to talk about Bike to Work Day today and Bike Week, Mark Coho, Executive Director of Bike Winnipeg. Good to see you. Hi, Al. Great to be here. Wiping the sweat off your brow as you <laughs> biked over here. I procrastinated a little, so I had to go a little harder today. That's good. Um, and you, you, where did you come from? You said... Uh, uh, Corden and Stafford area. And so how is that ride by bike? You know, it's all right. I took Grosvenor up here, uh, crossed onto Wellington Crescent, uh, through River Heights, uh, once you're across the Owens Creek Bridge, you're kind of up St. James, and St. James is the kind of the one weak spot. Uh, fortunately, though, it's something the city's working on right now with the Empress Street uh, rehabilitation. So as part of that project, we're going to see a two-way uh, bike path put in on that Empress overpass, get you over at Portage, connect you up to St. Matthews. Yeah, and it's a nice day, right? Not super hot. No, it's not 21 too hot. degrees. And like you were saying, those, those uh, little worms are starting to... Curtail. Yes, right. Um, so you're sort of a partner with Bike Week uh, here, here in Winnipeg. And I'll just again direct people to the website, bikewinnipeg.com, where they can find everything. I know you were involved in some pit stops, I think, this morning for you Bike bet. to Work. We Day, had a right? couple of uh, pit stops going. So I was out uh, Q8 and Gallagher. It's going to be the site of a, a study looking at improving uh, walking and cycling conditions under that underpass. And we had another one going at uh, Rover at the Disraeli AT Bridge as well. And you've got a couple of rides going this week? You bet. We certainly do to keep that Bike Week Winnipeg spirit going. Uh, we've got uh, an infrastructure ride on uh, Wednesday the uh, 19th. Then we're going out with the Green Building Council on Thursday the 20th. Uh, we've got a ride with uh, Eric Napier-Strong from Seven Oaks House Museum. Uh, that's going to take us out into the Kildonans on uh, Saturday. And then Sunday, we're doing an art ride with the Winnipeg Arts Council. And again, uh, more details at bikewinnipeg.ca. Uh, bike, bike, oh, sorry? Uh, bikewinnipeg.ca for our ride, and then bikeweekwinnipeg.com. Okay, there you go. There we got them both out. Um, Winnipeg is a beautiful city to, to ride a bike in, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's uh, flat. That makes things uh, nice. And, uh, you know, as well, we're, we're generally a pretty sunny city, so you're going to get that nice sunny weather on your bike. Uh, we're not too big of a city as well, so you can actually get around pretty good in a reasonable amount of time. If we continue to bring in bike paths and, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about many times, we don't need to have that conversation again. If we keep at it at this rate, when will be... When will Winnipeg kind of be where you'd like it to be when it comes to biking? Well, at the rate we're going, it's going to take a long time. So we're, we're kind of on a 20-year plan that was uh, moving forward from 2015, but we're only really providing about a third the funding to half the funding that was called for in that plan. So we're actually kind of falling behind on that timeline. Um, but again, it's something we can pick up. Certainly if the provincial, federal governments kick in, uh, I think it's something that we can make up time. And we can actually create within 5 to 10 years a very bikeable city. And are other cities struggling with the finances as well, or are they ahead of us? You know, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think the cities that make it a priority to make sure that that walking, biking, and transit are uh, their top priorities and something that they really want to move on, 
they find the way to make it happen. Other cities are kind of an us, I think, uh, sort of that middle of the pack kind of category where we're, we're taking fits and starts at it. And, yeah. and we're ahead of some cities that really aren't doing anything. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting. Not Listen, not everybody wants to hop on a bike and, and ride to work. But I think if we're going to accomplish some of the goals as a community, as a city and as a province, we need to have a significant portion of our population riding bike, taking the bus, walking, all these other things that we talk about, right? Exactly. And it's about creating the options, right? Uh, you know, it's not even someone who bikes on a regular basis. They might be driving part, part time of the week, taking transit when they can. Uh, and someone who's biking or driving regularly might want to go out for the occasional bike ride on a, on a nice day. And if the option's available, then the choice is there for them. But if the option isn't there, they're forced into one option, really driving their car. Yeah. I, I, we had a great conversation, and I appreciate you always being available, and you're not afraid to answer the tough questions about this. When we talk about cycling, biking, we get people on both sides of it. I, I don't want. I really want to stay positive today because yep. I think today and this week is is a good thing, and it's something we should celebrate, and as many of us as possible get involved in. But the people out there that say I would ride my bike, but I'm worried, I'm scared. That's a big. Uh, that's a, a big hurdle chunk. we have to get over. It's an absolutely huge chunk, uh, especially. Uh, the, the major fear people have is some of those larger roads with, with the traffic. And uh, certainly what we've seen from a number of other cities, and even here in Winnipeg where we've put in protected bike lanes, that's a level of comfort that makes people feel safe and secure. Uh, and it's it's the type of facility that really gets people encouraged to bike and, and gives them that option then. Yeah. And a lot of stuff going on on Sunday. Again, I'll just I'll give this website. You give yours. Uh, bike bikeweekwinnipeg.com, bikeweekwinnipeg.com, and the other is? We're bikewinnipeg.ca. If you just go bikewinnipeg.ca slash rides, you'll find out all about our rides. Yeah, and all kinds of stuff happening on Sunday. I'll play some audio, actually, from that interview Kathy Kennedy did earlier. But thanks for coming in, and happy Bike to Work Day and Bike Week. Thanks, Al. Great to be here. And Nichols back to pass into the end zone. He's got Wolotarski wide open. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Drew Wolotarski, a corner route. And he was wide open. Yes, from the game the other night. Our Bombers uh, win the first game of the season. Wolitarski had a couple of uh, uh, touchdowns, actually. I think it was two. And uh, then Coach O'Shea, after the game, talked to Bob Irving here on CJOB. And Coach sounded a bit dissatisfied with the game. I wish it didn't feel this way, you know, but there, there's just a lot of work left to do. It wasn't a clean game, you know. You give up a return touchdown, you take some penalties. Uh, it just, you know, I just thought it wasn't necessarily as cleanly executed as possible. Coach Michael Shea will be here on CJOB tonight, 7-8, to eight for the Coach's Show, and the man will be uh, who will be interviewing him, Bob Irving, joins us. On the phone now, here to chat a bit about the game and the coaches show tonight. Bob, I, I enjoyed the broadcast. How are you today? I'm fine, Hal. How are you? Good. Excellent. <laughs> are you uh, are you at all uh, following this, uh, well, now coming up on six-hour parade for the Raptors before we talk football here? Well, I'm certainly aware of it. Uh, <laughs> I know what's been going on. I was listening wow. to our station this morning, and it, it is crazy, isn't it? Uh, and I'm not... I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, it's a big deal, yeah. uh, certainly in Toronto, and I think uh, across the country, probably to a lesser degree in parts of the country, but in Toronto, it's a big deal. Uh, they've been in the NBA for almost three decades, and they might not win another championship for three decades. So 
it's certainly something to celebrate, and uh, and people love a parade, right, Hal? Absolutely. So, Who knows? We may have a parade at the end of the bomber season this year. You just never know, Bob. No, you do never know. And it's funny, you, you talked about Mike O'Shea uh, being not totally satisfied. Coaches are always striving for perfection, and they rarely, rarely, if ever, get it. Uh, but Mike, it's funny, he was very happy with the win, but he said, you know, I have to be honest, and we made a lot of mistakes, and they did, uh, but they still won the game. So they've got lots, as they like to say, to clean up. I can think of one game in the years Mike has been here, and there's probably more than one, but one that sticks out where at the end of the game, he had very little to say about anything his team had done wrong, and that was last year when they went to Edmonton and beat the Eskimos, Hal, 30-3, to and uh, they just shut Mike Riley down completely. And as I recall, <laughs> Mike could find very few, if any, flaws in their performance that night. But they had some things go wrong the other night, the 108-yard kick return. You, you know, you never like to see that if you're a coach, and that can cost you a game, that sort of thing. So that's an alarm bell for him. And then Mike's always uh, upset about penalties that his team takes, especially when they're kind of the, of what you'd call the needless variety, and there are sometimes good penalties, but uh, they had probably a, a few too many of those. So what did we, other than those mistakes, and I, I think that's common at the start of yep. a season, right? You know, they clean this stuff up and, and it gets better. Did you see anything during that game that really concerned you or just some tweaks that need to be tightened up? No, I've said this all along, Hal. I see nothing about this team that really concerns me. They had a couple of miscommunications in the back end in the secondary where they've got some new faces. That's to be expected, I guess, early in the season when you've got new people back there. The offensive line uh, played very well. Those three young guys in the middle that we've talked so much about, boy, they answered the bell in a in a big, big way. Uh, I don't see anything on this team that you'd point to and say, man, there's a vulnerable area where teams are going to eat their lunch. There's just nothing like that. So uh, we'll see. They get Edmonton now next, and the Eskimos were impressive in their season opening win. They'll play BC this weekend when the Bombers have a bye, so they could well come in here 2-0 and on the 27th for the Bombers' home opener, and wouldn't that be a great early season game? What about Mike Riley and BC? Are, are they worried out there now after this uh, opening performance? No, I don't think so. You know, they have no running game, Hal. They had four yards rushing in yeah. that game. And I, I don't know if you can live entirely with the pass. This is a passing league for sure. The Bombers have the best combination of passing and running of any team in this league. But when you run for four yards, you need to help your quarterback take some of the pressure off him and get a bit of a running game going. But, no, they're not worried. You know, Mike looked pretty good. He threw a couple of interceptions. One of them was a tip ball. Uh, but he threw for over 300 yards, and, and they moved the ball reasonably well. They have a lot of new faces on that team. So, you know, I think their coach before the game uh, said to us that, hey, you know, we'd like to start fast, but we understand we've got a lot of change here, and it could take a little bit of time for us to mesh. So I think it's way too early for them to panic. So what about uh, tonight, Coach's show, 7 to 8 here on CJOB? What will you be uh, focusing in on with Coach O'Shea? Well, I'll see if I can get Mike to explain what happened on that kickoff return, that 108-yard kickoff return by Brandon Rutley. And I, he could probably go into some real football jargon that would uh, be hard for people to follow, but I'll see if I can get him to break that one down for us. Uh, Andrew Harris had another big game, Hal, and so we'll certainly talk about him. And I'll ask Mike about those offensive linemen, the three guys in the middle in particular, and how he felt uh, they performed, just to get his general thoughts on, on the game and 
where he thinks they need to tweak things and improve things a little bit. And then we'll talk about the injuries. Uh, Kyrie Wilson, one of their linebackers, got dinged in that game the other night. And, boy, he was down in the field for quite a period of time and had to be helped up and was woozy. Uh, but I saw him yesterday on the airplane on the way back. We were on the same flight. And, he, you know, he looked okay. Uh, so I, I don't think it's anything serious with him. But we'll see if we can find out more about that, too. Hey, um, I didn't ask you about this, and I, I meant to. Uh, Kevin Glenn uh, retired, and I, I was curious to know, do you know what he's going to do? Is he going to stay in football in some way, or, or is that just kind of it? Well, he owns a couple of Tim Hortons franchises. I know that for a fact, and those are moneymakers, Hal, yep. I think, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I don't know what Kevin's plans are. I, he's never, ever expressed an interest in coaching to me. Uh, that That could change when players retire and they miss the game. You know, I suppose he could go down that avenue. I'd be a little surprised if if he did. I just don't see him as the coaching type. But he's kind of been smart off the field and got some things going away from the football field. So I think Kevin will be all right. And talk a bit about Kahari Jones here before I let you go. He's got an opportunity. An opportunity. Boy, what a challenge in Montreal. The team is being run by the league. It's owned by the league right now. They're trying to find some new owners for the Alouettes. They fire the coach on the eve of the start of the regular season and call Kahari in and say, hey, Kahari, how would you like to be the head coach of this team? Good luck, pal. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see you in November. Um, they got issues in Montreal, both on and off the field, Hal. So I think Kahari's walked into a very, very tough situation uh, we all know what a great guy he is and what a hard worker he is. And, you know, anybody who knows him wishes him nothing but the best. But, boy, oh, boy, he's got some challenges there. Bob, I will let you go. I guess you'll get a – you'll do the coaches show tonight with Coach O'Shea here at 7. Uh, I guess you get a bye week too, eh? Yeah, maybe a little golf, a little there you go. on the beach, Hal. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, sure, you deserve it, Bob. You've had a tough forward. year. You've had a tough season so far. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's early. It hasn't been that tough, but, uh, yeah, it's always nice to get a break. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Okay, Hal. There he goes, Bob Irving. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.